0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I am of the opinion that most of us go through the day unaware of how much Satan is working on us. We don't always see the telltale signs of the devil and his schemes. But we all face temptation in life in different ways all the time. So, if we want to serve God and do His will, how do we learn to watch out for temptation in life? It is there, so how do we learn to be prepared to deal with it when Satan makes a big attempt? I believe the Apostle Paul shows us how to pay attention to the working of Satan as it unfolds around us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. Pay close attention to what Paul wrote. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If we look closely at this passage we can see some of the tools that Paul gives us to help us watch out for and deal with temptation. First of all, ancient Israel is used as the example. The Israelites, as Paul pointed out, enjoyed all the spiritual blessings God gave them as people being in a covenant relationship with Him. They were all led to the promised land by the Lord, who often used amazing miracles to ease their journey. They were baptized in the crossing of the Red Sea. They ate the spiritual food manna miraculously supplied to them by God. They all drank of the same spiritual drink. They enjoyed the ever-present, sustaining presence of God. They were blessed in every way simply because God had chosen them going all the way back to Abraham as the nation through whom his son would come. Yet most of them died in the wilderness due to stubborn unbelief. As far as the adults were concerned, only two who came out of Egypt would be able to enter into the promised land Joshua and Caleb. As far as the people were concerned, when tempted in various ways, they caved in over and over again. Some turned to idols, most turned to grumbling, and when at the edge of Canaan, almost all of them turned away from the land in unbelief. These being the same people who had actually walked on dry land Through the parted Red Sea. What was the result? The Lord destroyed that generation and waited essentially 40 years for another generation to arise. Paul tells us all this to remind us that we too can forfeit all of the benefits of salvation we enjoy. If we act in unbelief or cave into temptation too much or too long and refuse to repent, We will lose the precious blessings of being in Christ that is exactly what the author of Hebrews warns us about in a couple of places looking at Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 8 we read for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless, and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, we find, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will concern the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Just as those Israelites who were in a covenant relationship with God broke that covenant and did not receive the ultimate blessings they had been promised, the same can happen to those of us described as having been once enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift and having been partakers of the Holy Spirit. The same thing can happen to those described as having been sanctified by the blood of the covenant. The idea that is so prevalent today of once saved, always saved, just is not true. And these things were written that we might learn that truth. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us in verse 6 to watch our appetites. The Israelites craved evil things and that led them away from the Lord. If you've ever had to be on a diet, you know how bad cravings can be as you imagine a great big helping of french fries under a bed of melted sharp cheddar cheese, or perhaps a piece of warm chocolate cake with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream on it. The more we think about the things that we cannot have, the more we seem to want them. That is true with sinful things that tempt as well. It just stands to reason that where we place our minds is eventually what is going to come out in our lives. So if we spend our time thinking about nothing but sexual things, we are going to be more susceptible to that kind of sin. If we think about alcohol, we will be more likely to drink, and we can include in there any other kind of drug that produces a particular feeling that we crave. If we think about avoiding responsibility for our actions, we will be more likely to lie, and on and on and on the list goes. The first step in countering temptation is learning what is pleasing to God, learning our weaknesses, and doing everything in our power to avoid them. In verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul seems to be telling us to watch our priorities. He makes reference to Exodus 32, when the Israelites built a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. After building the golden calf look at verses 5 and 6 of Exodus 32. Now when Aaron saw this he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They did all of that in honor of an idol. They chose to worship an image that they had made and celebrated, rather than the Lord who had saved them from Egyptian bondage. They put other things ahead of the God who had brought them to this point. How did their priorities get so messed up so quickly after having witnessed and benefited from Jehovah's mighty power. We might not think that idolatry is very much of a problem for us. I mean, we're not running around worshiping pagan images. But just wait a minute and let's note Paul's words from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. He wrote, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. Paul listed several things and closed with an important point. Greed is the same as idolatry. That means if we put money first, we put the Lord second or lower. We could say the same thing about recreation or sports or anything, including our jobs, anything that we place above God in our priorities. These kinds of things that can turn us away And mess with our priorities may not be pagan images before which we fall but there are still false gods when placed before the one true God back in 1st Corinthians 10 Paul tells us to watch our purity he says nor let us act immorally he writes about 23,000 Israelites who died in one day due to immoral behavior this story found in Numbers 25 tells us of the men of Israel who became physically involved with the idolatrous women of Moab. God's anger fell on his people and he made them clean the mess up, so to speak. To do so, the culprits were put to death immediately. God fixed the problem by ensuring that at least at that time it would spread no further among his people. My friends, we live in a world full of temptation to engage in immoral activity. It is so easy and so readily available. Those kinds of sins are prevalent, maybe more so than ever due to the ease with which one can appease their appetite. So if we are going to fight off Satan, we need to watch our purity. What do we dwell on when it comes to that aspect of our lives? Again, we seek to monitor our desires, but never forget how quickly a sin of immorality can turn a life upside down. How many husbands and wives never intended to cheat and wind up divorce, but they did so anyway because they did not watch out for their purity? Paul also teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, 9, and 10 that the people of Israel grumbled. That is, they spent a great deal of time and energy complaining about one thing or another. One time it was lack of water, another lack of food or variety in food, and still another time it was about Moses and his leadership. Like even some Christians today, they spent their time complaining about what they didn't have instead of being thankful for what they did have. So Paul is teaching us to watch our attitude. This proved to be a continuing problem for Israel, and we see a little bit of it very early in the history of the church in acts chapter 6 and verse 1 we find now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number a complaint arose on the part of the hellenistic jews against the native hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food there may be real problems but they are not solved by complaining and grumbling after the manner of the israelites in the wilderness in philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 we read Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Sometimes the complaints are minor. The church building is too hot or too cold. The preacher preaches too long or too short. The song leader leads the songs too slow or too fast. Sometimes the grumbling is of such a nature as to seek to undermine the leadership, the elders. Not complaining sets a good example to the world that we are followers of a generous, loving God. Complaining says just the opposite. When Satan can't get us to sin with our cravings, priorities, or purity, he will certainly use this method to get us complaining. And that's just another way to sin. And back in First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul was telling us not to be presumptuous. He wrote, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If we become presumptuous, full of our own goodness and confident that we have this sin thing all figured out, it is possible to far more, fall more quickly than we can imagine. I have seen far too many godly men and women fall prey to idolatry, adultery, and ruin their lives and their spiritual families. We've always, always must be aware to never go beyond giving in to temptation. In fact, to think that we are is perfect for Satan because pride is one of his favorite methods. Remember 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Having presented a somewhat frightening picture, the good news is found in Hebrews, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. This shows us that when we are tempted, we are not alone in the sense of experiencing something that no one else has ever experienced because others have faced the same things. Verse 13 also reminds us that God is faithful and he will not let Satan tempt us with something we can't handle. He doesn't say it will be easy, but a way of escape will be provided. So because temptation is the common lot of man and because God is faithful and will not allow Satan to tempt us beyond our ability to resist and because God always provides a way of escape, my friends, we can endure. We don't have to be like the Israelites in the wilderness. We can learn from their examples and remain faithful serving God until the Lord returns in the way that he would have us to serve him. Thank you for listening. I hope it did some good.